Good morning. morning. It is a joy and a a blessing to be here. It's encouraging to have uh, so many, uh, both members and visitors with us. I hope our time here together uh, can genuinely draw us closer to the Lord, uh, can be encouraging uh, and fruitful as we seek to uh, better reflect his character and accomplish his will in our lives each day. Um, If you leave here today uh, impressed by what the East Side Church of Christ has to offer, then we failed. Um, what, what we want our focus to be is to be impressed with what Jesus has to offer. Um, that, that is our focus. Um, and if there is any value, uh, any encouragement uh, that, that you're going to receive here, it's going to be from the power of God's word. Uh, that's, that's where the power is. And so I want to invite you to, to open your Bibles uh, with me uh, as we study together. We're, we're looking at a, a series of charts um, entitled Coming to Know God. Uh, and these are, are a series of charts that I often use in, in sharing the gospel uh, and kind of building from the ground up, uh, looking at some just very foundational uh, uh, principles uh, and aspects of the, the gospel message. And I, I present these with, with two intentions. Uh, one is to equip you, uh, to give you a tool that you can use as you seek to, to share the gospel with others. Uh, one, one way to go about that uh, is simply to uh, you know, open your Bibles and start reading with people and the Sermon on the Mount or the Book of Romans or any, any of the, the gospels. But uh, another way is, is to look at more of a big picture approach. Uh, and that's what, what this uh, series of charts is intended to do is kind of building from Genesis 1 uh, all the way up to looking at Jesus uh, in the Gospels. And so we looked at this first chart, this first outline, know your purpose. One, one of the main questions that people have asked throughout uh, history is, is what is the purpose of life? Uh, and you don't have to read very far uh, in your Bibles to find out what God said, what the Creator said is our purpose. Uh, if anybody's going to tell us the reason for which we exist, we, we should probably ask the one who made us, right? Uh, but in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God tells us that he intended to create man in his image or in his likeness. God intended for us to reflect his image, not in physical things like having a, a nose and two eyes and two ears and a mouth. That's not what we're talking about. God is spirit. And God intended that we reflect his personal characteristics, things like love and holiness and purity and righteousness and mercy And so God intended that we be his self-portrait, that we be as dear children, Ephesians 4, verse 32 through 5, verse 1, uh, imitating God, imitating his character. But the only way we can do that is to come to know God. We can't imitate somebody that that we've never met or somebody that we don't know. And so God has graciously revealed himself to us, uh, first through his son uh, who left the spirit that it might guide the apostles and prophets to record the things that we have sitting in front of us today so that we can come to know God. We can't just you know, kind of guess at what God likes and what he doesn't like and who he is. Uh, we can't read God's mind in that way, but by his grace, we can read his mind and come to know what he thinks and what he feels and what it is that he intends for us to be. Uh, but, and the last outline that we looked at, um, we looked at knowing our failure. I should probably turn this on. There we go. Sorry. <laughs> uh, know your failure. We, we recognize that none of us have lived up to that purpose. Uh, none of us have perfectly reflected 
the, the image and the character of God. Romans 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The glory of God is what we were intended to reflect, what we were intended to be, and yet we've all failed miserably in that. We have not perfectly reflected God's character. We're like broken mirrors of his glory, uh, ruined self-portraits of his character. Uh, and we need to understand that if we're going to appreciate the gospel. We, we talk about the good news of salvation. Jesus saves. But if we don't understand what it is we're being saved from, then that doesn't really mean a whole lot, does it? Uh, if, if I you know, throw a life preserver to you as you're walking out on the street, uh, you know, you're, you're going to avoid it. You're gonna, why, why are you throwing that at me? But, but if you recognize that you are sinking and about to drown, you are going to grab for that with, with all your strength. And so we, we need to recognize if we're going to present the gospel, the gospel is good news, but we need the bad news first. We need to understand what it is we're being saved from. And as broken mirrors, as ruined paintings, we deserve to be thrown out. The wages of sin is death. God told us that from the very beginning. That was the consequence of sin. Uh, if we fail in the purpose for which we've been created, uh, the worth that God invested us with is not there any longer. Uh, we're no longer fulfilling that purpose. And yet, we see that God in his love was not content to leave us as broken mirrors and ruined paintings. What we're going to see today is that God reached down into this corrupt and sinful world through his son in order to rescue us from our hopeless failure and restore us to a perfect relationship with him. Um, and so, although we deserve death, and not just physical death, but spiritual death, what the Bible calls the second death, being separated from the source of life, which is God himself for all eternity, uh, God doesn't want that. God wants to restore us in fellowship with him. So today, I want us to look at God's solution. We're going to get to the real good news here. And when we talk about the plan of salvation, um, sometimes, uh, in some circles, when we talk about the plan of salvation, somebody will say, I'm, I'm going to present the plan of salvation, and then they will talk about all the things that you and I do in order that we can be saved. That, that's not what Paul would have thought when he heard the words plan of salvation, right? The plan, God's plan of salvation is what he has done. Now, we're, we are going to talk about what it is that we need to do in response to that, and that's going to be our next study. Um, but that is not the plan of salvation. The plan of salvation is what God has accomplished through Jesus Christ. We cannot mend our brokenness ourselves. We cannot restore our failure. We can't put the pieces back together. Uh, we are broken mirrors and ruined paintings. Without God's intervention, we will stay that way. Um, so we're, we're going to start off where we left off last time um, with this idea of us all falling short of God's glory. Let me read again here in Romans 3. Starting in verse 9, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all, for we have all already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. You know, that's not a very pretty picture of humanity, is it? That's not really how we would normally think of ourselves. You know, we, when we hear that, we would think, well, I, wait a second, I, I'm a pretty good person. And I, I know some people that are pretty good people. But God says, no, if we're measuring by the world standard, maybe that's true. 
But if we're measuring by God's standard, if his glory, his image is what we're measuring by, then we're miserable failures. All of us have become useless, have become worthless. None of us truly attain to what God has defined for us as good. Um, and so uh, if we measure by our creator's standards, the only standards that truly matter, uh, we have all fallen short of his glory. And as we said just a moment ago, we deserve death. The wages of sin is death. That ruined painting, that broken mirror deserves to be thrown out. But that's not the whole story. Look in Romans 6 and verse 23 with me. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God was not willing to stand on the sidelines and simply let us wallow in our own brokenness. His unconquerable love was not willing to surrender to the consequences of our failure. Uh, God refused to write us off as his enemies. And God has a plan and made a way by which those broken pieces can, can be put back together, that, that image can be restored. And if we're going to understand this gift of salvation, uh, this gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, it might help by, by looking at the person of Jesus to begin with. Jesus ultimately perfectly reflects the image and character of God. Jesus succeeds where we fail. He showed us what God's purpose for mankind truly looked like, what it means to live in the perfect image of God. Uh, look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 3. Here, Paul is, is talking, uh, using the illustration from the Old Testament about Moses putting a veil over his face that the people of Israel would not see the, the glory reflected in his face fading. Um, but he, using that illustration in verse 3 here, he says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He says, if our gospel is, is veiled, it's not that God is doing it. it. It's that the God of this world, the ruler of this world, Satan, is trying to mind, blind the hearts of the unbelieving that they wouldn't see the glory of God. And do you notice how he describes that, that glory? It says, the gospel or good news of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Talking about being created in the image of God. Uh, you know, the, the glory of the gospel is seen in Jesus perfectly reflecting God's character. Jesus showed us uh, what we're meant to be as the, the perfect image of God. Um, what we should have been and by his grace, what, what we can be. Uh, and we see the same concept in Hebrews chapter 1. We talked about this uh, two studies ago. Uh, when we were talking about how God has revealed himself to us, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, we read, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. You see that? Uh, God spoke 
throughout time, through, through angels and visions and dreams and prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us through Jesus, who he describes as the radiance of God's glory. We fall short of his glory. Jesus radiates the glory of God. Uh, we broke the perfect image of God within us. Jesus is the exact representation, the express image of God's character. And so, firstly, Jesus shows us everything that we were intended to be. He shows us the, the perfect image of God. And Jesus isn't just a self-portrait of God. He, he's the real thing. <laughs> he's God in the flesh. He shows us the character of God w- without flaw. Um, I think about John 1 and verse 18, where it says, No man has seen God at any time, but the only begotten who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him to us or explained him to us. In John 14, Jesus tells Philip, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Uh, And so, so, while we deserved death, Jesus deserves life, has life within himself. He is the perfect image of God. Uh, he alone demonstrated himself to be pure from the, the contagion of sin uh, and to be in a position to, to introduce the cure. Um, and Jesus, even though we deserve death, is the one who provides us this gift of life. I want to go back to Romans chapter 3. And if you want to mark your Bibles here in Romans chapter 3, this is the passage uh, that, that Jonathan read earlier for us and that we're going to spend some time continually coming back to. But Romans chapter 3, and we're, we're going to actually start reading there in verse 23. Uh, let's read verse 23 through 26. Romans 3, starting in verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that we would be just, that he would be just, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You read through that, that's a lot of big words, right? (laughs) Uh, There's a lot of words in there that we might not normally use in everyday conversation, uh, might not use except in a religious context. And so let's, let's work through this passage and see what it is that God is communicating to us. Um, the, the first word that, that we come across uh, that I think might be helpful to understand, verse 24, he says, being justified as a gift by his grace. Um, what does the word justified mean? Um, literally de- declared just or declared innocent, you might think of it as. Uh, if, if you're in a courtroom setting and the judge says not guilty, that's that's justified. Now, we might sometimes try to justify ourselves saying, well, yes, I did that, but this is why I did it, right? We're trying to justify ourselves. That's not what we're talking about here. Um, we're talking about being legitimately and truly justified by the Lord. So declared not guilty, but, but let's ask the question, um, are we guilty? Yes. We, we've seen... Uh, Unquestionably, all of us are guilty. So how is it that God can be a just judge and say, not guilty? Right? If, if, if we had a judge do that today, um, somebody is clearly, blatantly guilty of this crime, deserves punishment, and the judge says, you know what? I, I'm having a good day today. Not guilty. We would say corrupt judge. We can't do that. That's not right. Is God a corrupt judge? Of course not. Uh, in fact, la- later on, 
you notice uh, in verse 26, it talks about how this demonstrates God's righteousness so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ Jesus. God um, can't be a corrupt judge. He has to be a just judge. But through Jesus, he is able to both be just, to be righteous, and yet declare us not guilty. He's able to be just and the justifier, the one who declares us not guilty. How is that? Well, let's go back in verse 24, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? The, the way by which God is able to legitimately and justly declare us not guilty, he says, is through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What does this word redemption mean? Literally, it's the idea of, of to buy back, uh, to, to purchase or, or exchange for. Uh, in, in the context of human beings, it's the idea of, of purchasing somebody out of slavery. Uh, you think about Israel being redeemed out of bondage in Egypt. God, God bought them out of slavery in Egypt, uh, so to speak. You might think of it uh, with the word ransom. You know, if somebody's being held hostage, uh, a ransom can be paid by which to release them from that, that hostage situation. That, that's what we're, we're seeing in this word. God paid the price through Jesus to legitimately release us from the, the guilt and the bondage of our sin. Uh, look with me in 1 Peter chapter 1. Again, if you want to keep your Bibles marked there in Romans 3, we're going to keep coming back. But look in 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse 18 and 19. 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 18, uh, we read, Knowing that you were redeemed, with uh, not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. How did God pay the price for us be, to be released from the bondage of sin? He says it, it wasn't through silver and gold. Yeah, it was through his blood. You know, who, who decided the price? Have you ever thought about that? Who, who decided the price of, of how valuable our souls were? I think sometimes, you know, if we think about this in like a hostage situation, we think, well, the person holding them in bondage, that's the person who gets to set the price. Is it in this situation that, that Satan set the price? And he said, this is, this is, these are my demands, this is how much I want. I don't think that's what we see biblically. But God has to pay a fair price, right? God is just. He, he's not going to pay just some, some token price. You know, when, when somebody pays a, a, a price that, that is, is not really what the thing is worth, but they get it anyway, you know, that's a corrupt transaction. God's not corrupt. God is going to pay a fair price. Who set the price? Well, the God who made us. When God imprinted his image upon our souls, when he created us in the beginning, he decided how valuable we were. And you know, this would be arrogant for us to say ourselves, but this is what God has said. We were worth the blood of Jesus. In God's eyes, what he created us to be, what he desires for us to be, is worth the blood of his son. That's how valuable he 
how, how valuable you and I are to him. Now, again, on our own, we, we have been completely divested of that value. But that's what God created us to be and what he wants to restore us to be. And so he has paid the only fair price. It couldn't be perishable things like silver and gold, but the imperishable, undefiled blood of his son. And I hope we can appreciate through that that sin is not cheap. And our souls are not cheap. Uh, We need to be impressed uh, and in awe uh, with how much value God has put upon us and how costly sin is, the damage that it causes. But that's not the only image that God has given us of of what he did to legitimately uh, justify us and declare us not guilty. Go back to Romans 3. Because we see another word here. Um, Romans 3, we were reading in verse 24, it says, Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Propitiation, that's not a word that we use every day. What what does that mean? Uh, A word that we might be somewhat more familiar with in biblical context is the word atonement. Uh, And those are kind of parallel terms. Um, Really, this word means a a covering over or an appeasement, uh, a satisfying of the judicial wrath of God. you might think of it in the context of the Old Testament atonement. What, what did God command his people to bring in order to atone for their sins? Well, we see this concept of animal sacrifice throughout the Old Testament. From the beginning, the consequences for sin was death. And so when they sinned, death had to be suffered. Uh, and so God would have them bring these animals unblemished uh, to the altar Uh, And that life, the blood upon the altar, would, in some senses, pay the price or suffer the penalty that their sins deserved. It would suffer the penalty in their place. Um, And so we we shouldn't just see this as some type of monetary transaction. (laughs) This is Jesus taking our place, right? Him suffering uh, as as we uh, were intended, as we deserved to, to suffer. Jesus is the Lamb. Of God. Look with me in Isaiah 53. This is an Old Testament passage uh, that looks forward and prophesies of the, the coming king, this coming Messiah or Christ. In Isaiah 53, notice uh, what is prophesied about Jesus uh, hundreds of years in advance. Isaiah 53, we we'll start reading in verse 4. Starting in verse 4, it says, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Jesus was stricken, smitten, afflicted, scourged, but all of that was not for his own sin. It was for ours. We are the sheep that went astray. We deserve to be the lamb on the altar, but Jesus is the lamb of God. 
taking our place. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus suffered the penalty, suffered the sentence of death, well, was convicted by the verdict that should have been ours. And so, again, this is not just some business transaction that we're talking about. Not only did he pay the price, he suffered the penalty for our sins. But, but I think it might be helpful to stop here and ask a question. Um, if, if Jesus truly suffered the penalty for our sins, when we talk about the wages of sin being death, you remember that we're not just talking about physical death. We're talking about spiritual death, about that second death that Revelation talks about, in which we're not just separated from uh, you know, our, our body from our spirit, uh, the flesh from its source of life, but the spirit is separated from its source of life. Our, our soul is separated from God. So if Jesus truly took our place, wouldn't that mean that he'd have to be separated from God? Wouldn't that mean that he'd have to be separated from God for all eternity? You might think so. But I think there is another concept that we need to understand if we're going to see this properly. And that is resurrection. There's a reason that throughout the book of Acts, the apostles time and time again focus on the resurrection. In fact, uh, maybe more so than they focus on the cross. Uh, Because the gospel message is incomplete Uh, if we just are preaching the cross and we are not also preaching that Jesus conquered our death because he didn't just suffer the penalty. He didn't just suffer the death. He conquered the death, right? Um, He didn't just pay the wages of sin. Uh, He had victory over sin and death. I I want us to to turn our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. And this is a longer passage. We're going to have to explain some context here to to make sure we properly understand what's being said. But but I want us to start in Hebrews 2 uh, in verse 6. And the Hebrew writer here begins by quoting from an Old Testament passage. It's from Psalm 8. And this psalm is talking about the great blessing that God has placed upon mankind in the beginning and how he created man. So uh, Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 6. We read, but one has testified somewhere saying, what is man that you remember him or the son of man that you are concerned about him? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have appointed him over all the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. Um, Let's stop there for a moment. So this psalm is saying, God, you've blessed man and you've blessed man abundantly. Uh, And this really is is looking back to how God made Adam and Eve in the beginning. In the beginning, God crowned them with glory and honor. He appointed them over all the works of his hands. There was nothing uh, in all of creation that he didn't place them in in authority over. They were to be in authority over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and uh, everything that creeped on the earth and all the earth. Um, But notice what he goes on to say in verse 8. Verse 8, you have put uh, put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subjected to him. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. As we see the the world today, um, is mankind in the same position that God put Adam and Eve in? Well, no. 
No, the, the creation around us kills us, right? Germs and, and natural disaster and, and you know, n- none of that is how God created in the beginning. Uh, we're no longer in this position of rulership over all of creation. In fact, if you remember what we read in 2 Corinthians 4, it says the God or the ruler of this world is blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Who's that talking about? Well, Satan is now the ruler of this world. We yielded over that position of, of rulership over to him by our disobedience. Um, But notice here, Hebrews 2 and verse 9. Verse 9, But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, from whom are all things and through whom are all things, and bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through suffering. As we read Psalm 8, and yes, that's how God made it in the beginning, but that's not how we see it now. Now, the world is is broken, but what we do see is we see Jesus. And we see Jesus fulfilling everything that man was supposed to be, right? He's the perfect image of God. He is, is what God intended for us to be in the beginning. And he was crowned with glory and honor. He became for a time lower than the angels. Uh, And he suffered death that he might bring many sons to glory. You see that in verse 10? We, We had fallen short of glory. Fallen miserably short of God's glory. And yet Jesus, by coming, taking on flesh and blood, and perfectly fulfilling everything that we were intended to be in the beginning has paved a way for us to return to glory. How? How does he do that? Look down in verse 14 and 15. Verse 14, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through the fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Through his death, what does he accomplish? He renders powerless the one who had the power of death. He conquers Satan. He conquers sin. He conquers death that it may not hang over our heads any longer. You you might think of it this way. Um, You know, imagine you have two long lines of people leading up to, to two electric chairs. Um, and at the head of one of these lines is Jesus. And he sits down in the electric chair and he overloads all the circuits and he breaks death. And now everyone following him is set free. Jesus broke the power of death. You, you might think of it in the terms of uh, somebody being swallowed by the belly, being in the belly of the beast. Have you ever heard that phrase? It's kind of, kind of this picture of somebody, you know, getting swallowed by the beast. And for a moment, you think they're a goner. They're dead. They're gone. And then from inside, they pull out their sword and they carve them out from the inside out. Uh, That's what Jesus did. He was swallowed by death, but death couldn't hold him. Look look with me in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Notice what Peter says on the day of Pentecost when they're first preaching this gospel message um, after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. In Acts 2, starting in verse 22, Peter says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. 
This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Verse 24. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. You see that? It was impossible for him to be held by its power. What, what is spiritual death? Well, it's, it's being separated from the source of life, being separated from God. Can, can you separate Jesus from God? He is God. It's impossible that he could be separated from God for all eternity. He broke the power of death. And so he didn't just suffer the penalty. He didn't just take our place. He conquered it. He had victory over it. Um, he has the, the, the keys uh, of, of Hades. He's able to, to break through and lead a path by which we, through death, to resurrection, can go back to glory. Um, and so he has paid the price. He has suffered the penalty. And he has also conquered the penalty. He has suffered, conquered our death. And so what does that mean for us? You know, we're, we're going to get more next time into our response to the gospel. Uh, you may remember in our last outline we saw in 2 Thessalonians, it talks about those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel. Um, the gospel is not just something to be believed uh, or, or accepted or received. It is something to be obeyed, to be responded to. Um, and so there is some response on our part. Um, but, but for now, I think it might be helpful to conclude with this. Jesus died for us so that we could live for him. Look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, notice what Paul says here in verse 14 and 15. It says, for the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that we who live, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. The, the, the gospel plan of salvation is not that Jesus did all of this so we get a get out of hell free card and we go on our merry way, Right? No, Jesus did this so that we would no longer live for ourselves, but live for him. As long as I'm still living for self, Grady Huggins is a ruined painting. Uh, that's 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 and 15. Yeah. Um, I'm a ruined painting. I'm a broken mirror. And if I'm continuing to live for myself, for my own selfish desires, then... I deserve to be thrown out. I failed in the purpose for which God created. But God has provided a way by which I don't have to live for myself any longer. And instead of receiving the wages that Grady deserves, I can live no longer for self, but for Jesus Christ. Galatians 2 and verse 20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live my faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's the gospel message. Is that we join Jesus on the cross. We take up our cross and follow him. That means I, I'm dead. I'm gone. 
I join Jesus in the grave. I'm buried. My old self gets buried with him. And by his grace, by the power of the resurrection, I can be raised to a new life. And Jesus, who is the perfect image of God, who perfectly reflects his glory, he's the one who's living that life now through me. And so we ought not to think, you know, well, that, that's a really great story. I'm glad Jesus has done that. Um, now, now I can have a hope of heaven and uh, I'll go back to my life. That's not how it works. <laughs> no, Jesus has done this to transform us. To give us the opportunity to put our old life behind and start a new life. Let's look at one last passage together. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And we'll start by reading verse 2 through 4. Uh, this kind of goes along with what we saw Paul saying in Galatians a moment ago. Colossians uh, 3, starting in verse 2. Paul says, Set your mind on things above, not on things that are here on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. You see that? We've died. That's no us no longer. And so our minds are no longer set on the flesh, no longer set on this earth. They're focused on Jesus. Because when Christ, who is our life, appears, we'll be able to share in his glory. Look what he says later on in the same passage. He kind of fleshes out what that looks like on a day-to-day basis. He says in verse 9, Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, but have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek or Jew or circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free man. But Christ is all and in all. It says you need to put away that old life and, and everything that was, uh, you know, characterized it. You need to put it behind you by God's grace because you've put on a new man. And do you notice how he describes that new man in verse 10? says it's being uh, renewed according to a true knowledge, according to the image of the one who created him. Genesis 1. What did God make us to be? To be his image, to reflect his image, mirrors of his glory. And how do we restore that? How do we fulfill the purpose for which we've been created? Well, we can't do it on our own. We've messed it up. But in Jesus, that image, that perfect image can be restored. And we can fulfill the purpose for which God created us in the beginning. Well, as I said, we'll talk more next time uh, about what it means to obey the gospel, how we respond to the gospel. But if, if you recognize right now that, that you haven't done that, that you're still living for yourself, um, then, then won't you make a change right now? If you recognize you need to make a change, maybe you don't know how. You don't know what it is you need to do. Don't leave here without finding that out. Let, let's sit down. Let's talk about it together. Let's study. Uh, let's find out what it is that God desires to, to remake you, to put the broken pieces back together. He has the answers, and hopefully we can be helpful in, in, in drawing you to them. Um, and if you've done that, but, 
but you're not living it. You, you, you've made that commitment, but you recognize I've allowed that old man to come back. Uh, and and he's, he's going strong. <laughs> then let's do something about that. By God's grace, um, we, we have a support system that God has provided us. God designed the church. We didn't come up with it, right? It's, it's a family, a body that he intends to help us, help one another in our service to him. If we can help you in some way, won't you let us do that? Um, and so if, if you need to make some change, if you need to ask for the prayers of the brethren here, if, if you need to come to the Lord for the first time, uh, whatever your need may be, we want to give you an opportunity. Uh, we're in a moment going to stand and sing a song, and if there's some need that you need to make known to these brethren here, uh, we want to invite you to come forward as we do that. So let's all stand and sing together.